KPBS On Demand is supported by Arizona Raft Adventures, a third-generation family-owned outfitter providing experiential multi-day Colorado River rafting adventures through the Grand Canyon, hiking, exploration, education, and fun. Only a seven-hour drive from San Diego. Learn more at azraft.com. Good morning, I'm Annika Colbert. It's Wednesday, April 21st. Unions have been organizing to get their members vaccinated. We'll have more on that next, but first. After the verdict in the Derek Chauvin trial, about 150 people gathered and marched in downtown San Diego last night. Emotions for many, such as Alicia Crawford, are bittersweet. Justice for me looks like black and brown people being able to walk outside of their house and not feel like they might not make it back home. For Crawford, the verdict is just the beginning of a longer march towards justice. Beatrice Palmer, co-chair of the Racial Justice Committee of Alliance for Regional Solutions, also had reactions to the guilty verdict. Those aren't my kids and George Floyd is not my blood, but every black mother that sees George Floyd sees their son or every sister, their brother. Thank God for this outcome and now let's creates a movement for the next case. It just, it never ends. San Diego Mayor Todd Gloria also released a statement saying, quote, Derek Chauvin's actions were an abuse of power and a disservice to the men and women who nobly protect and serve our communities. Chauvin was convicted on two counts of murder and one count of manslaughter for killing George Floyd last year. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. Local unions are used to advocating for their members and pushing lawmakers for change. Now they're doing more than that to encourage their members to get COVID-19 vaccines. KPBS investigative reporter Claire Tregesser has more. I sign up and done. Lily Novarino had been looking for a COVID-19 vaccine appointment everywhere with no luck. She's been a Vons worker for 30 years. So she turned to an organization she often turns to for help, her union. The union amazingly organized these clinics for the employees. It was a, a huge relief because I, now that looking back and I remember uh, the beginning of the pandemic, uh, coming back from work, leaving my shoes outside, taking my clothes, go straight to the shower, Uh, It was really scary. Unions across the San Diego region are working hard to get their members vaccinated, employing many of the same tactics they use to get laws passed and favored political candidates elected. They're lobbying lawmakers to grant eligibility to their members and securing separate supplies of vaccines from state and county officials. They've also launched vaccine awareness campaigns among their members. It is a trusted information source for people. UC San Diego epidemiology professor Rebecca Fielding-Miller says all of this will have a big impact, 
increasing herd immunity in unionized workplaces, and vaccination rates in low-income communities. There's like a fire hose of information happening all the time, but if your union reaches out to you and says, do this and this on this day, that's really helpful. It's what we do every day. Todd Walters is president of the local food workers union. He says they've made it easy for members to sign up for vaccine appointments at union-run clinics and are encouraging those who are vaccine-hesitant to get the shot. You know, when you... You visit members on a job site. It's people don't understand what a big, um, how important that really is. Because you see people on the job site, you kind of have a captive audience. Um, but most importantly, you build those relationships with them where they trust you. Um, they share information with you. Unions that represent child care and home care providers and utility workers have also organized their own vaccination clinics. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers Union successfully lobbied the governor to add utility workers to Tier 1B so they could begin receiving vaccines in mid-March. Now, Nate Fairman, the business manager for the local branch, says more than 50 percent of his members are vaccinated. Your union is one of your most trusted sources of information. Um, People get inundated with information from, you know, their employer, from their, you know, community groups. But when somebody is a member of a union and their union is communicating with them directly about the importance of an issue, they trust a message coming from their union. Bridget Browning, president of Unite Here Local 30, a hotel workers union, says she's letting her members know that skipping the vaccine may cost them work. We're going to have to really tell our members, well, if you don't get vaccinated and this customer says you can't be in their banquet room, like you can't be in their banquet room. Even for non-union workers, pressure from coworkers and friends can often make a difference in whether they take the shot. Paolo Morales is the sushi manager at Sushi Deli in Mission Hills and says at first many of his coworkers didn't want the vaccine, but now they're coming around. We're never gonna we never we never gonna uh, go over this situation. If the 50% of the people got the shot and another 50 just wait to see what, what's going to happen. After seeing Morales and others get their shots, another coworker, Daniel Flores, says he will get one too. Yeah, it's a new vaccine and we don't know much about it because it's barely coming out. But it's all about each other's health, you know. And that reporting from KPBS investigative reporter Claire Tregesser. A new report from immigrant advocacy groups says President Biden is continuing many of Trump's most destructive border policies. KPBS's Max Rivlin-Nadler reports. The report, titled Failure to Protect, focuses on the continued use of Title 42, a Trump-era regulation that expels almost all asylum seekers from the country. The groups say the regulation, which was originally justified as a pandemic control measure, put asylum seekers in harm's way. Nicole Ramos is a lawyer with Al Otro Lado, which advocates on behalf of asylum seekers in Tijuana. We are one of the most powerful and well-resourced nations on earth. Yet the excuses as to why 90 days into this government, Title 42 has not been repealed, really challenges that image that we're projecting to the world. The report calls for the Biden administration to rescind Title 42 and immediately restore asylum, saying there's more than enough capacity to process arriving families and individuals. And that was KPBS's Max Rivlin-Nadler. 
UC San Diego officials want to return to normal, in-person classes in the fall. But that means making sure students and staff get vaccinated against COVID-19. KPBS education reporter Joe Hong spoke with university officials about whether they'll make vaccines mandatory. As of now, it's unclear whether the University of California Board of Regents will require students and staff at all UC campuses to be vaccinated before returning in the fall. UC San Diego Chancellor Pradeep Kosla said the regents should require vaccinations except for those with medical reasons or strongly held religious beliefs. Because at the end of the day, our job is not just to be individually independent. We also need to be part of a societal structure. So we, in addition to safeguarding ourselves, we also have to be responsible for people around us. Among other local colleges, the University of San Diego has announced it will require all students to be vaccinated before returning to campus. A San Diego State University spokeswoman said the Cal State system has not yet made a decision on vaccination requirements. And that was KPBS education reporter Joe Hong. San Diego is increasing internet access for people across the city. KPBS's Christina Kim reports. Good morning, everyone. San Diego Mayor Todd Gloria laid out a plan to expand free internet access to the more than 53,000 San Diegans living without reliable broadband. For us to be a truly great city, we must address digital equity head on and make sure that every San Diegan has access to the opportunities of, internet, of our d- digital age. And that's why we're announcing today that the city of San Diego is offering free Wi-Fi at over 300 new locations as a part of our new SD Access for All program. Mayor Gloria's announcement, which builds upon a program started last year under then-Mayor Kevin Faulkner, also includes new laptops and 900 mobile hotspots that people will be able to check out from select libraries, like this one in San Isidro. It received its first hotspots a little over three weeks ago, and has been operating an outdoor computer lab since October. San Isidro's branch manager, Elaine Sinsuan, says the internet access has been crucial to her predominantly Latino and bilingual patrons who use the computers to study and apply for jobs. I get a lot of happy stories of people who are able to finish their work, which can be huge, especially when you have limited access and you have to go to maybe two or three different places just to finish the application and then maybe come back inside to print. So um, what's easy for us who are very well connected and, you know, have a printer and and Wi-Fi, it can take another it can take another person, you know, a few days just to finish what they need due to time limits and constraints. The newly announced program comes on the heels of Mayor Gloria's proposed budget cuts to San Diego libraries, which will cut down hours but be offset by new digital resources. And that was KPBS's Christina Kim. And the South Bay got its first legal cannabis dispensary yesterday. Here we go. Three, two, one. Yay! The Grasshopper Dispensary was welcomed by Chula Vista City officials on Tuesday. It's located in the industrial area, and it's the first of eight cannabis storefronts planned for the city. Owner Andres Camveros says it took more than two years to get to this point. I grew up in Chula Vista, you know, born and raised in Chula Vista, raising my kids out here, my family. It's a Chula Vista business right here, something everybody could be proud of. All dispensaries opening in Chula Vista will be for recreational consumption, meaning customers don't need a medical card. 
And coming up, California could be facing a mega drought. We'll have more on that and what it means, along with a preview of this year's Film Out San Diego. All of that next, just after the break. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. many Californians, drought conditions haven't been a seasonal issue. They've been a way of life. With consecutive years of record high temperatures and scarce rainfall, some say it's possible that California is facing a mega drought, which means the impact of climate change could be much more severe across the state. Daniel Kayen is a researcher of climate, atmospheric science, and physical oceanography at the Scripps Institution of Oceanography at UC San Diego. He spoke with KPBS Midday Edition host Jade Hindman about the drought. Here's that interview. So as California enters another drought season, the question now is whether or not the last one ever ended in the first place. Is it safe to say that the state is in a period of mega drought? It certainly is the case that since 2000, we've been in and out of dryness. And this last event really took hold in 2020 and has persisted through the current period. But I guess arguably we've had five waves of dryness beginning in 2020, but we have had those dry spells punctuated with some wet years, 05, 06, 2011, and 2017 was quite wet. So one thing that I think we have to remember about California is that our setting, a Mediterranean area, means that we're on the edge of a winter storm track. So we have a limited time window when we can receive precipitation roughly between November and March. And in some cases, the storm track is farther north and we are dry. And the fact that we receive a very strong proportion of our precipitation from just a handful of storms each winter. And if those storms are absent, such as this last year, we are uh, often in the dry category. You know, the previous year saw a devastating fire season fueled by a historically dry drought season. Have we seen the worst of it yet, or can we expect conditions to continue to worsen? There's a certain amount of crystal ball in that answer, but climate models certainly indicate that over 
decades, conditions will become more extreme. Warmer temperatures and extended summer dry season, all of that spells a larger concern with wildfire in the uh, climate future. Now, sustained drought conditions have also severely impacted water availability across the state's agricultural sector, even prompting concerns over water rationing. How could this long-term drought period affect how we all manage water? Conservation comes into play, and it's not only the agricultural sector which is affected, but also urban and industrial components of water demand are affected. Agriculture actually traditionally in California has has mitigated dryness by the use of groundwater. And we know that in the recent historical past, dry events have been have been marked by the increase use of groundwater levels, that to some extent has become a little bit curtailed with stronger groundwater management. But when we look at the historical record, the really large swings in water use and water demand have really appeared in the urban sector. So um, there's been a lot of conservation that's been instituted during these dry spells. And I think that we can imagine that we'll see urban as well as agricultural sectors sort of belt tightening as far as their water use. You know, ultimately, what we're talking about here are the growing ways climate change affects our communities and our environment. So what can be done to prepare our state for this new normal of extreme weather? There's a number of uh, aspects of that question. Water conservation and probably the partitioning of water between the various sectors in California. Again, a commitment that is is made that water is going to be needed for years on end in a rather steady fashion. Those are the kinds of societal decisions that I think we're going to have to grapple with in the future as climate becomes impacted more by, by climate change, extremes become more intense, and so on. Another aspect that comes into play is our ability to forecast climate and actually weather at shorter time scales, the weather forecasting problem is really important because advance notice of a big storm, for example, allows water managers to move water around, make more reservoir space available in certain places, and insulate the public from floods, which is the other side of the coin in the volatile uh, water picture in California. That was Daniel Kagan, a researcher of climate, atmospheric science, and physical oceanography at the Scripps Institution of Oceanography at UC San Diego. He was speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host Jade Hindman. Film Out is San Diego's LGBTQ film festival, and it continues its monthly film screenings online. KPBS film critic Beth Accomando reviews its latest offering, a true-life-inspired drama from Bolivia. The film, Tume Monk, opens with stage direction. Scene. A curtain opens revealing a beautiful garden with a swimming pool in a wealthy neighborhood in Santa Cruz de la Sierra, Bolivia. The morning light enters through a large window. 
A man stands in front of a suitcase and a red backpack. The film's a beautiful and healing meditation on grief, loss, and the creative process. It begins with Jorge arriving in New York City from his conservative Bolivian home and confronting his son's boyfriend, Sebastian, with news of the son's suicide. Gabriel está muerto. The men clash over Jorge's inability to understand and accept his son's sexuality. The events prompt Sebastian to stage a play that not only pays tribute to his dead lover, but which also addresses the homophobia they both faced in their native Bolivia. Writer-director Rodrigo Bayot straddles the U.S. and Bolivian film industries. Tume Monk draws eloquently on his own personal story. The film also chronicles his creative process of staging a multimedia play in Bolivia that helped bring LGBTQ issues to the forefront in that country. Tume Monk gives voice to a particular Latinx perspective and is available streaming this Thursday through Sunday from Film Out San Diego. Beth Accomando, KPBS News. And that's it for the podcast today. Be sure to catch KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio or check out the Midday Edition podcast. You can also watch KPBS Evening Edition at 5 o'clock on KPBS Television. And as always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day. KPBS On Demand is supported by Arizona Raft Adventures, a third-generation family-owned outfitter providing experiential multi-day Colorado River rafting adventures through the Grand Canyon. Hiking, exploration, education, and fun. Only a seven-hour drive from San Diego. Learn more at azraft.com.